At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward, even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. You're listening to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast with Karen McMahon. We invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience. Heal your heart while refining your character and enable you to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I've learned over the years that in dealing with people with trauma, the first thing they need is, is gentleness and kindness. You're listening to our series on divorcing a narcissist and high conflict divorce. If you've felt emotionally battered in your marriage and now feel like you're failing again because an amicable divorce is simply not possible, this series is for you. Designed to honor the complex, emotionally tumultuous set of circumstances you're facing, we provide a playbook, a deep level of guidance and support to bolster you through and beyond the divorce process. Our guests include mental health professionals, attorneys, court-appointed experts for the children, and more. Hey, welcome back. Today we wrap up our year-long series on high-conflict divorce with a topic that you seldom hear discussed. It's the plight of adult children during divorce. When it comes to young children, rules and advice are often clearer, more available, and perhaps easier for parents to abide by. Adult children of gray divorce, on the other hand, tend to face a very different experience. They're men and women ages 18 to 50, some single, some married, some have children of their own, and all of them are in different stages of shock and fear and sudden dramatic change. Because they're adults, their feelings and struggles around divorce are often overlooked, minimized, even diminished. Parents are also more apt to rely on their adult children for emotional, practical, or financial support. And they're expected to take sides and often are placed in that difficult position to choose a parent to invite to a holiday or special event. Today, we explore the impact divorce has on adult children, how healthy boundaries can assist both the adult child and divorcing parent, and other issues to be aware of, as well as strategies for handling this difficult season for everyone involved. With me today, are Bruce Fedenberg and Carol Hughes, two mental health experts who have decades of experience in the divorce arena and have co-authored the book, Home Will Never Be the Same Again, a guide for adult children of gray divorce. Carol has been a California licensed marriage and family therapist and family focused divorce professional for more than 30 years. She's assisted hundreds of divorcing families as a therapist, child, and co-parent specialist, divorce coach, and mediator. Bruce is also a California licensed marriage and family therapist, board certified in clinical hypnosis, and an EMDR therapist. Bruce serves families as a therapist, divorce coach, child specialist, mediator, and co-parenting specialist in the Laguna Hills, California area. Welcome, Carol and Bruce. Thank you. Thank you, Karen, for having us. Yeah, we're very happy to be here. Thank you. Let's dive right in. I'm so curious about the impetus that, um, that drove you to, to write the book, Home Will Never Be the Same Again. What was that? 
Well, um, we've worked with uh, divorcing families for decades. And the more we worked with this uh, population, the more we realized that they were uh, invisible is what a lot of adult children of parents who are divorcing say. Uh, My voice doesn't matter. What I feel and think doesn't matter. Uh, I'm just tossed aside. It's like since I'm an adult, emerging adult, 18 years old or 50 years old, uh, people think I should just roll with it and not have any feelings and discounted. And uh, whenever we know about a population that's unserved, uh, as mental health professionals, that's our job to give them a voice. And that's what the purpose of the book was, as well as educating the parents how they can do a better job uh, listening to their adult children and vice versa, the adult children listening to their parents. Beautiful. Did you want to add anything to that, Bruce? Uh, No, I think Kara covered it pretty well. And even though there has not been a lot of research on this, we did include the research that was available. But both of us have been licensed therapists for more than 30 years. And so a lot of this was just things that really came to our awareness through talking about just that that particular phenomena. And it's a worldwide phenomena right now In in the U.S. alone. Um, 300,000 plus families uh, divorce in that age group, 50 on up every year, and it's growing. So 300,000 families is 600,000 parents and up to another 600,000 children. So 1.2 million people each year fall into this category, and there's almost nothing to help them. Wow. And that, that's, that's, those numbers are so powerful. And as I sat and read your book, and anyone who's listening, I just highly recommend Home Will Never Be the Same Again. It's so robust on so many different levels. We're just going to be touching on a couple of the topics today. As I read it, one of the things that struck me was how much is out there about how to be child-centric when it comes to your school-age children, your young children, and the contrast of how little is available for children. And I know even with my own clients, once they start touching on like 17 and up, it's, it's, they fall into this category of they're older, they can handle, and the various things that you touch on in the book that can happen between child and parent. Mm-hmm. Yes which again is profound when you think about the numbers that Bruce just quoted and the divorce rate for these adults who are 45 and 50 and older is projected to triple by 2030. And there'll be more and more adult children going through this same thing. And yet our culture, we have a mythology that really says, they'll just roll with it. They'll be fine. What's your problem? Well, you should be glad that they didn't divorce when you were six or 10. A real diminishing of the, as we know, divorce is so emotional and triggering and painful. And to imagine that once you hit a certain age, if it's your parents, none of that is really going on when it's going on in such a complex manner. And so today, if you're listening in, we're really going to focus on three areas, uh, one on your communication. And whether you're an adult child listening or the parent of adult children, we've got some really good uh, information and tips for you. We're also going to be touching on boundaries and and how to stay within healthy boundaries and some 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 thoughts on family roles and and how to really protect those. And so let's let's dive right in when it comes to uh, communication, uh, Carol and Bruce. What are a couple of the uh, what are some of the key things we want to be sharing with our listeners today? Well, uh, I think the most important thing to start with is deeply listening. Uh, your listeners are listening, and so that's a, they're already practiced at that. And the parents and the adult children need to focus on listening deeply, which means listening and not already formulating the response you're going to give in judgment or criticism. And I want to say again, it goes both ways. The parents shouldn't be diminishing, judging, blaming, guilt-tripping the adult children, nor should the adult children be doing that to their parents. And the research in our field shows that simply listening deeply to another person uh, is part of the healing process. 
and there's a lot of pain going on in these families and they want to heal. Most people want to heal. So listening deeply is where to start. Right. And so that's a skill that in general people need to, uh, to hone and practice. And just when it comes to being so emotionally triggered, uh, any suggestions of how one can just be aware of their um, listening habits and how to improve them? Um, well, as uh, Carol mentioned earlier, the you know, first step to solving a problem is to recognize it. So the thing to do is people should at least maybe be aware of the fact that communication happens on, on many levels. There's, there's language. And one of the things we encourage uh, divorcing parents to consider is that whatever they, they think of their spouse, it's not their ex anything. It's always going to be their child's other parent. And that understanding changes the view of the relationship. And then they're entitled to have a different relationship. There's also tone of voice. And that can trigger us. And when I'm angry and the sound of my anger will trigger the neurons in your brain to start vibrating. And in a really a nanosecond, you'll be out of the conversation and into whatever your habitual defense is, whether it's the fight back, to withdraw, to, to just uh, freeze in place or whatever that is. And then those things can also be triggered by facial expressions. And, and I think we've all had that experience of being in a conversation with somebody we actually care about. And in less than five words, that conversation's going in the wrong direction. And if we don't shut up that very minute, not only are we not going to get what we want, but we're going to be farther away from it. And I don't know about you, but I didn't always stop talking the second I recognized that. And, uh, you know, and sometimes we can't stop it at the beginning because it's happening. But the minute we recognize it, that's a good time just to stop for a second and, and reboot. Um, and I just want to jump in there. One of the things that in all of the coaching that we do is we, we really continually highlight how awareness, mindfulness, that level of consciousness is always the first step. And so even if you're not catching yourself right away, but you're more aware of it, you're moving in the right direction. And, and, and for many of us, especially based on your family of origin and how you've communicated, this particular one can be a heavy lift. There could be a lot of habits that haven't served people. And so as you're listening to, to, to Carol and Bruce, um, simply paying attention to your ability to listen. I know when I was younger, I wouldn't let the other person finish. I, like my words were so important. I was one of those people that would jump in, cut you off, finish your sentence or make my point. And, and the practice of, of noticing and pulling out of that bad habit takes time. And yet with all things divorce in this situation, there's a phenomenal opportunity for you to grow in the way you communicate. There's uh, something I was thinking of just now, too, and that's for any other divorce professionals that are listening to this. It's really important to be aware of, of their own uh, mood or just that sudden flash of irritation towards, you know, over something the client said, who, it, who just may have reminded you of somebody who did you wrong in the past, you know, and when I used to do more speaking, I realized when I would first get up, I knew before I said a word, 10% of the audience loved me for no reason, and 10% hated me for the same no reason, because I reminded them of somebody they liked or didn't like in the past. And if you're talking to someone who's already in, in stress and pain, and just that sense of tightness in your face or the look on your face for a brief second is going to make them feel unwanted or angry or defensive, and it's going to get in the way. And so it affects on so many levels that people would really be, it's worthwhile to take time to do those things you suggested, like uh, read or practice something about mindfulness. And, and again, with so many of our listeners uh, emerging from high conflict divorces, where they, uh, they live in a lot of contention and there is a tone of face and eye rolls and insinuation. And it's like, so when you're emerging from that kind of dynamic, both the children and the adults that could have gone on, as we're talking about adult children, right, for decades, uh, 
any any specific tips you have for those people because they're they're triggered, they've shut down, or they've either imploded or exploded so often. And here we are talking about how to communicate with your adult child. Uh, anything additional, given that that level of trauma, that you would recommend? Yes. Um, in fact, uh, one of our colleagues in uh, San Diego. Uh, Bill Eddy, who is a former therapist and a family lawyer now, founded the High Conflict Institute, which you've probably heard of. Uh, and we strongly and highly recommend going to his website. It is a treasure trove of information about how to deal with people who are high conflict and also how to maintain your center. Uh, mindfulness is obviously for sure, an excellent practice for that. And uh, he has a technique called EAR. It's an acronym for empathy, appreciation, and respect. Right. And as hard as it is, difficult as it is to give high conflict people empathy, appreciation, and respect, it really does work. And also the person who is more traumatized, as you were talking about, having lived with a high conflict person, the adult children, or the for former, soon to be former spouse, also deserves empathy, appreciation, and respect, which are part of the deep listening that I mentioned earlier. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought up Bill Eddy. For those of you listening, uh, a couple of months ago, we interviewed two women from the High Conflict Institute. I believe uh, the title of the podcast is How to Be peaceful, productive, and professional. They talk about BIF, they talk about ear. Mm -hmm. And so by all means, if this is resonating with you, go back and take a listen to that podcast. And that website is, is brilliant and highly recommended. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for bringing that up. You're welcome. Also, um, and this is really hard for somebody who's experiencing their own trauma if they're dealing with somebody else who's in trauma because divorce is trauma. And if they've decided to get divorced, that probably means they've been having some trauma in their lives going on. And some may have come out of early trauma. And I've learned over the years that in dealing with people with trauma, the first thing they need is, is gentleness and kindness. And sometimes it's very hard to be aware of that if, if they're coming at you much harder than you want. But nonetheless, if you want it to at least have a chance of changing, uh, to be aware of being as kind as, and at least as gentle as you can. And that doesn't mean standing in there for more abuse, but just being aware that, you know, gentleness hardly ever makes the situation worse. Right. I think that, you know, it's interesting that you say that, Bruce. I think that one of the the slippery slopes for the, the the codependent who's been in this relationship is their tendency to be more compassionate toward um, the high conflict person than toward themselves, right? Like that's part of the codependency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I hear that, it's like so important. And yet it's, it's a little bit of a tightrope for some people. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. I I've often had a conversation with Carol, a world full of codependents would work well because they're all helping each other. It's when a codependent <laughs> uh, links up with somebody who's the exact opposite, then, then it's just right. All hell <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. And, and of course, the person who's been in the, codepend the uh, high conflict relationship, who is, as we call it, codependent, of course, that person needs a lot of support. Uh, so we're not saying just go be nice to the person mm -hmm. that's been so abusive, but uh, focus on yourself because, yeah, that's what the codependent typically does is ignores self-care. So self-care, read everything you can about self-care, and we have some tips in the book too, but self-care, look inward instead of outward at that other person because there's a lot of healing that that codependent person needs to do to be stronger and more centered. Uh, it, it is a slippery slope. You're right. And absolutely. And I think that the, I remember the women, well, actually so many guests said this over and over again. And so if you're going through a divorce, you've been in a high conflict uh, situation, uh, having a mental health expert, having a divorce coach, having a support team that can help you stay on track and keep the focus on your needs and, and navigating this divorce and the way you speak to your adult children in a way that moves you closer to what you want rather than further away is incredibly helpful. 
Mm-hmm. I was also thinking, uh, when you're dealing with a high-conflict person, as strange as it might sound to you, they feel they're the victim. And that's part of the reason why the, the, the gentleness or the kindness is, like, even though it seems counterintuitive, anything you do at all, since they're already coming in thinking they're the victims, um, then, you know, anything you do it that's not kind and gentle is just going to trigger more abuse towards you. And it's not that you deserve the abuse. It's not that you caused the abuse. But it's a useful, that thing Bill Eddy talks about, uh, empathy, attention, and respect, uh, actually work better than most things. Nothing works always. I want to say that too. Nothing works all the time. (laughs) Calming the chaos of divorce begins with quieting your mind and getting clear on what you want and how to get it. That's why we created the Divorce Survival Kit. It's an easy to digest guide with five essential tips that help transform your suffering into valuable insights and your confusion into effective action. So go to DivorceRecoveryLifeline.com and grab your Divorce Survival Kit today. I'd like to talk a little bit about boundaries. And in most divorces, I think when you have a younger child, it's those boundaries are clearer or more often that they're clear and a parent doesn't overstep and, you know, cry on their child's lap or things like that. What, what are the key topics that we want to share with our listeners about boundaries when it comes to adult children? Well, I think boundaries go in both directions. First of all, Uh, It's important that the uh, parents, even though their children are adults, uh, realize that they're still in a parent-child relationship because your child will always be your child, uh, cradle to the grave, as one of the um, uh, psychiatrists who created developed attachment theory said. Uh, So they're always your child, and it is tempting to align with them uh, against the other parent use them as your confidant, use them as your therapist, your dating buddy, tell too many stories of why the marriage uh, ended. All of those are boundary violations from the parent to the child. And then in the other direction, the same thing can happen. Uh, The adult child telling the parent, guilt-tripping them for divorcing, uh, telling them how wrong they are for wanting to date now, uh, telling, trying to tell the parent what to do. and feeling overly responsible for the parent and trying trying to be the parent's therapist or confidant, so it can go in both directions. And none of those uh, is none of those is good boundary keeping uh, in in these situations. Bruce, did you want to add? Uh, yeah, um, all families tend to have rules and some of the rules are spoken and some of the rules are have never been actually articulated but it's how that family has has reacted and and sometimes you know boundaries that were appropriate at one time aren't anymore example would be you know there was a time you you know understood you weren't supposed to cross the road without holding your mother's hand uh and you know that was really appropriate but but you know by the time you're older that's you know it's 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 dysfunctional is the word, I guess. And so sometimes those things are just keep on going that the the assumed right to direct somebody's life as a parent or as a child or whatever. And I'm reminded of this joke from Amy Schumer, the comedian, I like to give credit. She, uh, her line was, I took my mother to a soccer game the other day. I wanted to show her what a boundary looked like. Uh, She said, I don't see it. I said, I know. (laughs) And that does speak to the families where, and I I work with this so often, where even the word boundary and the concept, like you could have a family where for years they were all a little bit on the boundary oblivious side. It just wasn't, healthy boundaries wasn't part of their family dynamic. And so what do you say in a situation like that? Well, I say that we can always learn. Uh, and, uh, as you said, oblivion isn't necessarily a healthy spot, right? And so that can be a challenge. That's a really good point, uh, Karen, that you bring up, uh, because they're used to crossing these boundaries every day. And so now why is it different? Well, it's especially different now because when a family is coming apart, 
uh, as, as happens in divorce and the adult children are losing that rock that they say has been their foundation for their entire lives, all of their lives, uh, there's a lot of pain there and anger and hurt. And it can be exacerbated by uh, crossing boundaries that maybe they never were aware of. So certainly learning about these boundaries, uh, working with someone like yourself, a divorce coach, a mental health professional, reading books, reading our book. We have a whole chapter on boundaries. Uh, this is the time to do it because the saddest part of divorce in so many cases is that families rupture, the bonds rupture, and they never are healed. And that's a very sad situation because relationships uh, are forever. They're for a lifetime, family relationships. Whether we're still in it or it's we have an alienated relationship, it's still a relationship, positive or negative. And, and I would like to take a few minutes uh, and just talk about boundaries and what they are because I, I've been surprised okay. at how often there's, there's a, a client has no understanding or ability to articulate what a boundary is or what the value of it is. And I often recommend the boundary books um, mm -hmm. that are out there, boundaries with children, boundaries with teens, boundaries in marriage, and, and how in order to have a healthy relationship, boundaries are vital and they can happen on a lot of different levels. And so I'm curious, you guys have a whole chapter on that. Could you define for our listeners what a boundary is and why in general um, they're helpful to understand, set, and, uh, and uphold? Well, uh, I think it's important to keep in mind that boundaries are not to control other people. It's to protect ourselves. And so uh, often the families have not had, they didn't need more rigid boundaries at the time. They're all working in the same direction. And when, they're, when you're younger, you know, parents do have a right, an obligation at times to interfere with whatever their child's doing or with the decisions they're making at that time. And, and for a lot of parents, it's hard to let go of that. Or for, for some uh, the children, no matter what their age, sometimes it's, it's hard not to just going back to that default position. But understanding that boundaries are to protect ourselves, uh, it can be important to make some uh, decisions for yourself, what's acceptable and what's not. And under what, con you know, what conditions is something that was not acceptable might be okay for a little while, like an in in inversion, a parent that needs additional help during the going through the divorce, maybe financial or emotional. And, and that can be reasonable, especially if a child's been well taken care of by the parents. Just like if a parent was elderly and sick, we wouldn't say it's horrible that now you're helping right. your parent too much. Right. But given, you know, assuming they're not in impaired, infirmed, for a little while that can be okay. But I think it's important for families to have conversations that maybe they never had before and probably never had before of what's changing and what's okay with me and not. And if, they, if they're not a family that's used to having those hard conversations, they're not automatically going to do it well now. And as Carol pointed out, it would be worth their while if they want to have these good relationships with their parents and their adult children and grandchildren going forward, then it would be worth the investment to spend some time with a divorce coach or a family therapist who's been trained in divorce. Because I think people would be surprised at how much help they can get from somebody who knows a lot more because they've seen it more often and they don't have any skin in the game. So there's no feelings to be hurt and they can you know, give them a good facilitated conversation. Carol? Yeah. Yeah, I want to add to that, of course, boundaries are also about protecting other people, not controlling other people, as you said, Bruce, protect ourselves and other people. I'll give an example. If uh, a grandparent has a lot of anger about the divorce and starts talking to the minor grandchildren who are school-aged children about how bad the other grandparent is, that's not a healthy boundary. Obviously, they're crossing over and intruding into the well-being of the grandchild. Or if someone has an anger issue, uh, we talked about abuse earlier, uh, acting our anger out on another person is a boundary violation as well. So the boundaries go both ways, protecting ourselves as well as protecting others. And, and I think, you know, 
both of you saying it's not about controlling the other. And so I just, I want to bring up this key part. Uh, setting a boundary is is step one, right? And you get, you can get clear that uh, you might, if you're an adult child, you might say to your parents, uh, um, I'm not comfortable talking about that. Please don't discuss that with me. Uh, and then they keep discussing it with you. And so the upholding of a boundary is something mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time chatting with my clients about mm-hmm. because their tendency is to go, please stop, please stop. I told mm-hmm. you to stop, right? And and trying to control the other one's behavior. But if you're, if you're asking for something and you're not getting it, can two of you speak a little bit to healthy ways of upholding your boundary? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, toward the end of the book, uh, communication expert uh, Sharon Ellis- Ellison was kind enough to write a whole chapter about her uh, war without words uh, philosophy and training. And she does a good job of giving some examples. For example, I'll use the one you just uh, gave, Karen. If we repeatedly tell the person, please stop talking about this. I want a relationship with both of you. I love both of you. And the parent doesn't stop. Uh, then it's time for, as you call it, upholding the boundary, enforcing the boundary and saying, if you continue to not respect my boundary, I will leave or I will hang up the phone or I will not continue to see you for a while. I'd like you to go work on your boundaries or something like that. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Enforcing the boundary, if if it comes to that, is part of our own self-healing and self-power that maybe we didn't have growing up, they didn't teach us that in the family of origin. And for those of you who are in high conflict relationships, there's a level of empowerment that comes as you learn how to uphold the boundary and feel in control of protecting your needs. Absolutely. And I misspoke. Uh, Sharon Ellison's work is taking the war out of our words. <laughs> it's not war without words. Taking the war out of our words. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, one of the things that that comes to mind is, and I've had a number of scenarios where a parent is frustrated with their adult child and the way they're behaving and uh, and compares them. Uh, you're, you're, you're being just like your father or, or reacts to them as if they're the soon-to-be ex or anything along those lines. And so I'm not quite sure if that falls into a boundary category, but it happens. And how would you address that? Because I think that it, I understand the person who's triggered and yet they have a perspective that's askew and it's caught, I know it's causing damage. So how would you speak to that? Um, I'm just thinking of the times that I've, you know, seen that happen or even experienced it when I was growing up, if ever my mother said I was just like my father or my father said I was just like my mother, I knew from my own experience that that was not intended as a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so it obviously made me feel bad about myself because now I had it on good authority from both people that I was descended (laughs) from some pretty unsavory people. I mean, you know, they were, my parents were decent people, but you know, and they would do that. So again, I think that's the value of having these conversations with somebody who's not a member of the family or a respected member of the family, because, you know, everything is tied to everything else in families. You know, a lot of times if there's been a lot of conflict, then every converse, if you admit to doing something wrong, it's like you've now admitted to everything that went wrong in the world. You've confessed to the Chicago fire. And so that's really hard for people to get out of that track. But when they're dealing with a third person, and now again, I was thinking of a personal experience of my own with with my my father as he got older and and my dad lived into his nineties. But when he was older, there'd be times he would ask me to check into something for him, like refinancing or do something. And I would spend a lot of time um, researching this. And by the time I'd get back to him and find out he'd already done it with some salesperson that came to the door and that would repeat. And that triggered my own stuff of of, sometimes to the kid, maybe not feeling respected. And, 
And then when I would be over at my father's house one time, I was getting bothered by this. This is going to sound stupid, uh, but it's the value of another person there. He he had a, a, a freezer in the in the garage, and it had like one little thing of frozen vegetables in it. And you know, electricity and freezers are expensive. And I was I was just astonished at that, and I was just starting to talk to him about it, and and probably not in the not mean, but not kind either. And my wife just sort of took me aside and said, why are you doing this now? <laughs> and it, you know, you think it's going to change? It doesn't have anything to do with anything. And, and it's having that other person there who didn't have my triggers yes. able to see it from, you know, present day realistic perspective. And, and I, so I want to emphasize, emphasize that a lot, the value of going to see somebody who doesn't have all those triggers built into the conversation. And, and I think that's important for those things you're talking about. And, and I, I want to segue into what the two of you do. And as I was reading your book, one of the things that occurred to me is how often someone who's an adult, whose parents are divorcing um, might judge their need to go and seek mental health support, seek, seek therapy to talk it through. It's like, you know, what's my problem? It's I'm not getting divorced. And so that I, I would love for you to just speak directly to the adult children mm-hmm. and the value of having a, 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 the fact that there is a need and the value of processing what's going on for them as well. Mm-hmm. Thanks for bringing that up, Karen. It, it is something that we've woven throughout the book. And often, as you were mentioning, both you and Bruce, the value of that third person, uh, a spouse or a friend, is often the person who um, validates for the adult child that what they're experiencing is very real. They aren't going crazy, quote, as many say they feel. And why don't, let's, let's talk to somebody. I read about this book. I heard this podcast. A friend of mine went through the same thing and it's real what you're going through to validate because the adult children report feeling like this is surreal. I feel crazy. I'm not validated. So they succumb to our cultural mythology that because they live in our culture that it, it shouldn't bother them. And as Bruce is fond of saying, uh, I haven't yet to meet an adult parent, quote, who is uh, divorcing, who doesn't have some pretty deep feelings, even if it's the person who's leaving and wants the divorce. So why should their adult children not have very deep, sometimes very negative and troubling feelings? Right. And, and, you know, I think the ability to speak your truth without feeling like you're uh, hurting a parent or taking sides is so important uh, just for your own uh, processing and healing. And if you're only talking to your siblings who might disagree with you and your parents and you're always being cautious so as not to hurt, especially if you are on that codependent side, that there is a real danger that can come out of that, isn't there? Yes, yes. Loss of self, uh, which is not a fun place to be. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's so many moving parts in this that people overlook. It's, it's you know, most people, when they think of a divorce, they think it's a legal matter and financial concerns. And And most people who work with people who are going through divorce recognize that it's an emotional experience that has legal consequences and generally involves a certain amount of financial instability. But even the the feelings about the fears and the anger, they're all emotions. And life is primarily an emotional experience. I always use the the example that if I play a song in the radio that reminds you of being 16 years old, your first thought will not be quadratic equations or conjugating French (laughs) verbs. (laughs) Yes, yes. <clears throat> that's that's so very true. And uh, divorce is such an emotional storm and such an emotional quagmire. And when we look at our country and see second and third div- uh, marriages having even higher divorce rates and then children coming out of divorce ending up 
divorcing, there can't be, in my humble opinion, enough healing for every individual in the family to break those generational chains, to learn how to engage in healthy communication, healthy boundaries, and therefore healthy relationships so that we can begin to bring down those divorce rates. Nicely said. I was just going to say very well said, yes. Yes. And, and, and thank you. And that brings us to this last piece, which is the impact, uh, how you navigate divorce with your adult children has on family roles and maybe how to avoid some of the pitfalls, if we could touch on that before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we already wove that in in some of the uh, boundary issue discussions uh, to not... Uh, a role reversal is often very common, and what we mean by role reversal is the child, the adult child, becomes more like a parent to the parent, or becomes their confidant, or becomes their dating buddy, or becomes their caretaker. And that, if if the parent becomes infirm, or as we mentioned, that's obviously valid. But um, those role reversals uh, are not healthy for actually for either the adult child or the parent, uh, because the parent has his or her own healing journey to go on, uh, which does not happen. We can't be uh, the, the counselor, the confidant, the therapist, uh, the divorce coach for our parents. Um, there's value in working with someone, as Bruce has said over and over, who's neutral, doesn't have the same triggers that someone in the family does. Um, and Bruce, you have a lot that you like to say about these role reversals and the roles in families as well. Would you like to add? Well, the adult children who are going through this, um, it's, you know, it's important for them to get some validation, if, if just from us, that you know, these feelings are valid. I mean, the loss of your unified parental unit, most from all of your life, or at least most of your life, your parents um, had common goals for each other and for the whole family and what they were doing, even if they weren't getting along they each still had uh, skin in the game for what happened to each other. And for the adult children, that's a big loss. They're not going to be a unified parental unit that they can deal with anymore. And most people don't ever articulate it in those terms, but it's really important. And so there's the disintegration of the family that they've always known. And it's not that their family isn't going to exist. These people still exist and they're major players in their life going forward as well as in their own history. But it's also for many people going to uh, result in questioning their own family history, you know, is it all smoke and mirrors is a common expression we hear at times, or were they just faking it, or how could I have missed all this? Or even if they saw the conflict, imagining how it would be to have your parents divorce is a much different event than actually going through it, just like any other traumatic, life-changing experience. If somebody dies, if I imagine how it's going to be ahead of time, it's shocking to find out how it really feels when it actually occurs. And so I think it's really useful for the adult children to um, understand. Some of them will question, am I being selfish? Is there something wrong with me? And yet if somebody died and they were in shock and loss, nobody would say there's something wrong with you. So if it's the death of your your family, it's for a lot of people, you know, might even be like waking up in the middle of a dream or that you're on another planet with three suns in the air. It's like, what happened? <laughs> you know, and I think that um, there's this uh, misconception uh, that divorce is most devastating for young children. Uh, and yeah, I, I want to share a little story. I, I sat my kids down when they were, I think, four and six or five and seven to say I was leaving. And I I could just break down and cry and cry. I like remember it like it was yesterday and it was so devastating for them. And when they were mid-teen years, we were driving in the car and their friends who were mid-teens were going through a divorce. And I asked them, do you remember like when I sat down and told you, and I'm like, my sunglasses on, tears coming down my mm-hmm. face. And they're like, no, not at all. <laughs> and it's got to be so much harder for our friends now, given their age. And so then fast forward to the adult children. I read once, and it may be in your book too, when you have a, a solid family unit, 
for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and it breaks. My kids had a solid family unit for five years and it broke. And so it's like, I don't think we think about it that way. And, and it makes so much sense if you're used to this family unit, even if it wasn't perfect for decades and decades, that there's gotta be very deep emotions when that starts to crumble. Exactly. Very well said. It reminds me of, it's like, nobody pays attention to oxygen until you've got your head underwater. <laughs> and, and, you know, I guarantee if, I, if you put your head underwater for two and a half minutes, you will not think of your children's names or anything. You'll just be thinking about getting that next breath. Now, it's so precious, we can't be without it for even a few moments, but we never give it a thought because it's just always been there when we needed it. And so I think that's how people's family structures are. They don't really notice how much it's been a part of their life because it's always been a part of their life. And so Mm -hmm. then it was just dealing with the other stuff that was more obvious. And Mm -hmm. and it is shocking for for Mm -hmm. adult children. And they have had that sense of self and identity and family traditions. And even if they were annual family fights at the holidays, it's still their life. And, and to, to lose that is disorienting for a lot of people, I think. I, I love that analogy. I mean, that, that just brought it home so, so solidly. So thank you for sharing that. I wanted to add something positive about the changing family roles, uh, especially with the holidays coming up. We're in a unique situation this year, of course, with the mm-hmm. COVID. Uh, however, if mom and dad have been the ones who always orchestrated the holiday celebrations, well, we could still be on Zoom if people aren't going to meet in person. Uh, But, you know, if the adult children want to take that over uh, and want to create new traditions for their family and for their family of origin, that it would be wonderful to do. You know, it isn't that these things have to stay rigidly, you know, frozen like in concrete. Uh, We can be creative and create other family traditions, which will certainly be happening this year, we think, at least that's what we're reading uh, with, the, you know, with the virus. So, but even going forward next year and year after, you know, the adult children, if they want to, can create their own family traditions and invite mom and dad to come right. and invite the, you know, the, 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 uh, grandparents can see the grandchildren in their own home not in the grandparents' home because there is no more grandparents' home as it was before. So thinking outside the box, so to speak, with these changing family roles can also be positive. Beautiful. One one of my favorite sayings as we wrap up is uh, every upset is a setup for doing your own personal work. And whether you're an adult child listening in or a parent and struggling with all of these emotions, it's also it's hard um it's painful it's overwhelming and it's an immense opportunity to take a look at your way of thinking acting feeling behaving and uh and healing and refining what needs to be healed and refined and thank you so much for everything that you've shared so far any last tips before we uh wrap up well, um, I like this quote from um, Henry Miller, the author. It was, I, I read that uh, one time his nephew was leaving. His nephew was visiting. And he wanted to tell his nephew the three most important things of life because they're really, it's good to know you have the secret life. So he told him there are three things and they're, they're, they're the most important. Number one is to be kind. Number two is to be kind. Number three is to be kind. Carol? And I would say to please trust that there is hope and healing and embrace that uh, and work on healing the family bonds that may have uh, broken or been damaged because family is for a lifetime. Beautiful. So folks, uh, the book is Home Will Never Be the Same Again, A Guide for Adult Children of Gray Divorce by Carol Hughes and Bruce Fredenberg, uh, and the forward is by Bill Eddy, which is the grandfather of high conflict. Um, so uh, how can our listeners uh, find the book, and then how can, they, how can they reach out and contact you? 
And everything that comes from this point forward will also be in the show notes if you're listening in. Uh, the book is available on Amazon uh, and by that title. Uh, it's available in, as an audiobook and as Kindle on um, and a hardback on Amazon. It's also available as an ebook on the publisher's website, which is Roman and Littlefield. Roman and Littlefield. Uh, so there are four different formats that it's available on. Uh, you can find uh, us on um, the book's website, which is um, homewillneverbethesameagain.com. And then uh, my divorce website is divorcepeacemaking.com. And Bruce? Um in Roman, the publisher Roman and uh, Littlefield, Roman is not like the city. It's R-O-W-M-A-N, Roman and Littlefield, just in case. Yes. And uh, my divorce uh, website is orangecountydivorcecoach.com. And both Carol and I can be found on the website of Collaborative Divorce Orange Counties. And that's C-D-S, like Sam, O-C.com. And you can find our profiles on there as well. And we're part of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals. And that website is collaborativepractice.com. You can find us there too. Beautiful. And again, all of those links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for the information. Uh, for those of you listening, again, grab the book, check out their websites. If you're an adult child of divorce, uh, I hope that this program has uh, spoken to your heart, soothed you a little bit, and encouraged you to get the support that you need. Carol, Bruce, thank you so much. And thank you, Karen, for having us and for the work you're doing as well. Yes, and, and thank you for being kind enough to share your audience with us because we really want people to have this information. It's my pleasure. And stay tuned. We will have another episode for you next week. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one -on -one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.